We live in a constantly changing world where the speed of information is changing how we think and act and connect with one another. When people in a society lose faith in their institutions, in God and in each other, the nation collapses. We need help rebuilding trust and tying it all together. Welcome to All That To Say, a podcast exploring the interrelatedness of all things in long-form conversation. Bill and Gloria Gaither join Jim Lyon to talk about their love story, songwriting, and the power of words. Welcome to All That to Say, and I am so thankful and pleased to welcome Bill and Gloria Gaither to our All That to Say studio. Bill and Gloria, always a privilege to be in your company. Thanks for carving time out for us today. Thanks. Good to be here. Good to be here. Good I mean, time. your worlds are busy. And as long as I've known you, which has been a little while, uh, you, you, you're not just sitting around twiddling your thumbs. You're not just uh, letting the grass grow under your feet. You keep busy. I know, as I have read at least, that you're planning a new tour for 2022. Is that possible? That you're yeah. going to be on the road some? Yeah. yeah. And uh, that'll take you for months on the road. Is that the way it works? Yeah, we, you know what? We, from the very beginning, have have really said uh, that phone and the invitations are either going to control our lives or we're going to control it. And I think from the very beginning, we said we can do this. But so when, when you say tour, that scares me because I think of 150 days out of the year. There are probably, what, about 10 or 15 weekends out of the year that we may do two or three dates. And that, and, and, and that keeps this young man uh, in, in touch with what's going on out there. So, yeah, uh, but uh, nothing at any, any length. Well, maybe not in the length to which you once did it in some yeah. other epochs of your life, but still on the road, no small thing, taking an entourage. You have to, there's a lot of production, there's a lot involved with things like that. And I'm just bringing that up to say because Bill and Gloria Gaither have been on the stage now for some time. And for anyone who doesn't know, you have won Grammys, you have uh, changed the world really of of music in the gospel genre, I think. In fact, Billboard magazine said about uh, Bill and Gloria Gaither that they did for gospel music what MTV did for rock. <laughs> I mean, that, that is, that's, that's saying something. And actually, that probably refers to the way in which you pioneered and developed video and uh, gospel videos in the Homecoming series, which really uh, re-engaged a world and an audience in the in this genre of music and presentation that you love so much, uh, what I'm suggesting is that some people might have said, all right, we're through, we're out. Uh, it's been a fun ride, but uh, let me think about my grandchildren alone. You have grandchildren. I know you think about Seven. them. Seven. How many? <laughs> Seven. Seven, there you go. And and that said, you're still engaged in this calling. And that's really what it is. It's a calling. You have become a global phenomenon. Okay, so I'm, here I'm going to demonstrate for you. And then I want to ask you about a story that's just happened today before you came to the studio. But I traveled to India a great deal, and uh, I've been many, many times. And I take people there, usually in small groups, to discover the subcontinent. It stole my heart when I first went, and I like it very much. One day, after having been literally two weeks in the outback of India, in places where 
uh, Westerners like me don't normally show up. And I was a, you know, I hadn't had a clean up shower for a while and so on. But before we left the country, I wanted my friends, there were just a few of us, uh, to stop in Agra to see the Taj Mahal. And there was a very nice hotel there because many tourists come to see the Taj Mahal. So there was a great hotel, the like of which we hadn't seen for two weeks. I was so ready to go to that hotel and shower up, scrub up, get ready to fly home. Walked into the hotel, huge marble glass floor in the foyer, and there's a grand piano and a chandelier, and it's that kind of Indo-European film quality architecture and all that. And there's this guy, an Indian man, playing this grand piano in the middle of the foyer. And we're checking in and so on, and I had a friend with me. You may know him. He's my my physician, his name is Scott Green. Oh, yeah, and, Dr. Uh, Green. Scott and I were traveling together, and and you mm. may not know, Scott's also a, a very fine musician. He's yes. a great pianist. Mm. Anyway, Scott and I are there, and this guy's playing the piano, and he's not saying anything, he's just playing. And uh, as he's playing, I'm thinking, that tune, it's so like so familiar. What is that? And I'm looking at Scott, what is that? And Scott's just staring at me and kind of smiling. I said, Scott, is he playing because he lives? Mm-hmm. which is a song that you folks produced and wrote. And Scott said, it is that. And we listened to the whole thing. It was because he lived. So after we got done playing it, here we are in the shadow of the Taj Mahal in a hotel. I walked over to him with Scott and we said, I want to thank you for playing. You're very gifted on the piano. And thank you for sharing mm-hmm. your song and all that. And, and that last piece you played, it was just so lovely. And he, he says, you know, I don't know what it's called. And I don't know even where I heard it. But once I heard it, I play it over and over again. <laughs> and we said, Scott and I just looked at each other, we're shocked. He doesn't even know what he's playing. We said, well, we actually know what that song is. We know the people that wrote that song. And he just, his eyes got biggest dollars. You do, and we explained what it was, and his jaw just dropped open. Now, I'm sharing that story with you <laughs> to demonstrate the reach uh, of what you have given to the world. Now, that brings me to a story that just today, there have been some awful devastating tornadoes in uh, several states uh, in the center of the country, Kentucky among them, uh, lots of devastation. Uh, anyone who is familiar with the news has seen news events like this before, and and this particular story finds a man who's in the ru- ruins of his home, you know, open sky above, the roof is gone, and he discovers a piano. It it's is, his piano. It's his yeah, piano yeah, yeah. in his house. Mm-hmm. And nothing's left. I mean, his house is just a wreck. And what does he do? The interesting thing about it is that he, the, the people that lived there were, were saved because they went to a basement and were under a mattress when their home blew away and 13 acres with it. And um, they had gone back. The storm had passed. And, and his sister was in in a bedroom sorting through the soggy mess of what was left, trying to think there was anything that could be salvaged. And she heard him playing. Because he came up out of the cellar, as He came were, out of the cellar. And saw the and piano and just sat down to play. Yeah, just sat down to play. And, and um, so she grabbed her phone, and he didn't know it. He, was, he had his back to her. Uh, the piano was facing the would-be wall. And um, she just started filming him, and she she put it on her. He was playing uh, something about that name, another song you've written. Yes, and he um, and wrote it, you know, in the early '60s, and and um, 
he she put it on her Facebook because other people on, that were her friends were also going through this horrible ho- tornado that hit the the center of um, Kentucky. And she thought it might be an encouragement to them. Had no idea that people would pick it up and um, and it would go viral. Yeah. And and just the image of it. I haven't seen the video myself, but this image of a man at a piano that somehow survived the wreckage, and it's the only thing left in the room, as it were. Mm-hmm. And his reaction to the tragedy, his coping mechanism, mm-hmm. the way in which he is trying to sort out. What in the world have I experienced and what do I do next? Is to go to the piano. And he's not a musician. I think, Bill, you, you thought he was an accountant? Oh, no, he, he, he is, he, but he's I, also a musician. The family's musical, but he's an accountant and a financial advisor. I, as by trade, that's his vocation. When the press talked to him, uh, one, of the, uh, one, of the line, one of the lyrics or lines in the lyrics is the. Uh, Kings and kingdoms may all pass away, but there's something about that name. And he, uh, so he quoted that lyric, and then he said, my little 13-acre kingdom. It's like pass away, but there's something. There's still something about that name. Now, now it's it's something, I, I try to think back, where were we? We were in our house, same house. We've lived in that same house Alexandria for 55 years now, right? And we were in the in in that house someday, I don't know whether it's day or night, you know, uh, working out that little melody da dun da dun da dun da 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 dun da da dun and she wrote the lyric to it and you and they're like little babies. You I mean you just put them out there and hopes they'll get some legs and something will happen to it. You know, the copyright people tell us we've written seven or eight, maybe 800 songs. maybe eight hundred songs, uh, and most of those songs are probably songs that people would not know or recognize. But you get a couple or three or four of them that might have some legs that crawl out beyond the county, beyond the state line, and then you go to Brazil, and there's eight thousand Brazilians out there listening to the vocal band sing, and you sing because he lives. And they drown you out. And they drown you out <laughs> in right. Portuguese. In Portuguese singing the chorus. Now that is overwhelming for a couple, uh, a couple little farm kids from India. <laughs> well, I mean, both both the story I told about being in the shadow of the Taj Mahal with a man who didn't even understand the music, but couldn't forget it, having heard it, and could play by rote a beautiful arrangement because he lives in a hotel, to the man in a Kentucky field suffering the overwhelming loss of his home, both drawn, finding a moment where they are at peace because of something you wrote. Now, there's so much to unpack with that, but (laughs) this story from the tornado as you reference, Bill, has been picked up by the news and, you know, it jumps off the sister's Facebook page and it goes to the local paper, which somebody else picks up and goes to a national <laughs> network, which goes to the Wall Street Journal, to the New York Times is interviewing you, Gloria, because they, they understand, oh, that song he was playing was written by the Gaithers. And so they're talking to you about it. What did they ask you about it? Well, she wanted to know, you know, how we wrote the song and and um, and how we felt that, that it came that circle. 
Um, and, and I found myself telling her, you do, you write songs in solitude. I mean, it's just usually Bill and I in the living room and they all come out of our lives talking about things over the morning coffee and things in our lives and our children. And this particular song actually, um, has a, has a spoken part that, that came from our little daughter who had chronic infections that made her, um, uh, fever spike when she was little. She had tonsillitis, and, and sometimes she would be trembl- trembling mm-hmm. with fever. And at the same time, his grandmother was dying, um, and in her last moments, and in her delirium, she was saying, Jesus, Jesus, he is so precious to me. And and I told the woman, you write in solitude out of the stuff that's in your own life, and then you throw it out there. And I keep thinking of Longfellow's poem, The Arrow and the Song. You know, you shoot an arrow, <laughs> you sing a song into the air, and you have, you lose total control then. Where it goes and how it comes now, 50 years later, you know, we are being called by the New York Times to say, you know, where did this song come from? But that beautiful kid that was playing the piano you know, who has lost his whole property, all the trees, and his house had no roof on it, as he sang, and the soggy piano that he said has gotten con- um, progressively worse because of the moisture now ruining the yes, piano. Yes. He said, I just had to sit and refocus. Mm-hmm. And what was really important? And what lasts? And, and what, what, lasts. what passes away? Um, so we talked about that with the, the, the wonderful lady from the New York Times was so charming. And she said, I said, all, what all of us, the most important thing any of us do is to reprioritize what is really lasting, what matters here, what really matters. And he said, you know, my little 13-acre <laughs> kingdom, yeah, you blew away. But there was something about that name. I have to say, just as a word of personal testimony, that particular just phrase, and I'm not a musician, but some things were embedded in me, and that's one. And I have found myself just in the mm-hmm. moment, without even thinking it through, singing that to myself. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's just <laughs> something about that name. And of course, that name is the name of Jesus. Yes. And and that is such a blanket of encouragement and hope that uh, I think once you hear the song and once it sinks in, it always will surface again at an important moment, just as that fellow in Kentucky. All of these, these anecdotes are just the, you know, the tip of the iceberg of a global phenomenon that has been delivered by the hands of Bill Glary Gaither. And there's so much to talk about with that, but I have to ask, you, and you've referred yourself to yourself already, Bill, as you know, two little farm kids. Well, uh, here you are from uh, the heart of the country in the United States. You, Bill, native to Indiana. I think uh, Gloria grew up in Michigan, where well, your dad was a pastor. But she, she, that's a neighboring state, same neighborhood. She grew up in Michigan, but she moved here as soon as she read about it. Just, <laughs> as soon as she could spell Indiana, she thought, someday uh, I'm going there. But... It, they do seem like unlikely addresses to have produced something that has had such universal impact in the in the world. I mean, we're not just talking about in in our culture, but trans transcending culture. Let's get back to where it started. So, the two of you are a team. How did you meet? Where did that come from? You know, it's interesting that you that you bring up the team thing because. 
it's, it's also been interesting watching marriages, and public marriages, political uh, marriages. And in our field, in, in the music field, it's very easy for a guy to sing a duet with a girl. I'm talking about I'm secular music mm-hmm. at this point. And you're singing a love song to her and say, boy, we make beautiful music together. And then all of a sudden they, quote, quote, fall in love. Mark Lowry, the comedian, the Christian comedian, kids me and says, you knew a meal ticket when you saw it, Bill. And I said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I was teaching at the local high school, and, uh, and, she, and, and she came in mid-year because the French teacher uh, was out for a couple months because of breast cancer. And she was substituting in French. I met her. And uh, we started talking and went to uh, lunch together uh, two or three times. I was drawn to her because of her. She, she, she was very bright. I'm not the brightest bulb in the room, but I always like to hang around people who are bright for some reason. <laughs> and, and you recognize that. In and I recognize that. <laughs> so I said, you know, this is an interesting girl. And unlike some of the other girls I had dated, she had some. She had some stuff to her. Uh, we got a little picture in our studio there of her hands on her hip, a, a five or six year old girl. I, <laughs> I should have seen that picture before I, before I married, married her. And and we were drawn together because of ideas and because of of a passion for a faith and. We, and, and, and questioning minds. We both loved history. We certainly loved poetry. And by poetry, I don't mean roses are red, violets are blue, but I mean the two of us can walk into a room and look at each other across the room. And I know what she's thinking. She knows what I am thinking. All of There's that, a novel here. <laughs> and then I got to be honest with you. I found out she was also a good kisser. <laughs> I said, that seals the deal. I mean, uh, uh, sealed with a kiss. So, I mean, somebody should write a song like that. But what were you teaching? She was teaching French. I was teaching English. Okay, but yeah, both yeah. of those are languages. Some of those are disciplines of language. And, uh, that's, and, and, and she also taught English and literature also. But I just have to think that I, I'm a guy who thinks that Mastering a language or, or, or toying with it or recognizing its power is a key to a lot of other things in life. And both of you had that to start with. And that's no surprise that that would develop into a, a style of communication, a medium of, of language that's set to music too. Now, I have to ask you, Gloria, he's kind of given us a, a word picture of I, as Bill's talking. I see the school building. I see him in the hall. I see the new substitute coming in who's filling in for the teacher who's out with illness. What What do you remember about the first time you saw Bill Gaither? What would you say? <laughs> well, I had a friend in college that had gone to see Bill and his brother and sister at a concert in in Detroit. And they were already singing as a trio. They were singing as a trio, go, working their way through college early on, you know. And and she came back into my room, and she said um, she, she had seen Bill's brother, and she just said, oh, he's so beautiful. She says, I just found out that you're going to be substituting in the, in the school where, he's te- he, where the brother is teaching. 
And she said, you got to meet him and get me a, a date with his brother. So... Uh, a story of my life. Story. <laughs> Your brother, overshadowing a good-looking guy. So, 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 Bill was coming down the hall, and and he pretended to drop his pencil in front of me, and I thought this is really corny. <laughs> and he stooped over to pick it up, and he said, "Hello there, what's your name?" And I said, "Gloria Sickle, who are you?" And he said, "Bill Gaither." And I said, "Oh, my." My girlfriend wants to meet your brother. <laughs> and he said, that that line is the story of my life. Everybody wants to meet my brother. I never did get around to introducing the two of them, but we did go to lunch and uh, and eventually started dating. And a year from then, we were, were married. And it's interesting that you... you I know you're, you are a word smith and a word lover, Um. I think we came together over the power of words, whether it was political words, you know, people running for for office, or or journalistic words, but mostly over poetry because we were both English majors, and um, we we discussed a lot of literature, and and still today that is I, I would have to say. Not maybe my first love, but close second. It's still, it's still a deep so pain. And, it, and the power of words and the stewardship of using words, because words can be used to destroy. Words can be used to slant and lie and twist and um, put some kind of spin that is not actual and is not true. Um the use of words is something that needs to be consecrated, I, I think. It's fascinating because, as you describe, the dark side. The dark side. The, the yeah. antithesis of that is words can inspire and they yeah. can give yeah. life and bring hope. And so the, 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 in the story we just talked about, to, to, uh, to us, it's overwhelmingly amazing that a song we wrote 50 years ago when our little daughter was, you know, two years old is still cycling around someplace out there in the stratosphere and lands in this tornado, you know, destroyed life. And a man that knows God is saying, okay, I got to sit down here and refocus a minute. I've lost everything, but my family's okay. And, and there was the song. So the stewardship of, of words, I, th I think, I wish our politicians understood that there is a stewardship of words. You can't just throw them around. And the legacy of them, what you're describing right. is once, once they're released, they take on a life that you cannot control. And More than that, Jim, you know, how many people have you said, uh, have you taught, ministered to over your years who were destroyed by maybe right. a sentence their father said? That's right. And it goes on. There's and a legacy just, to it. It even just sticks in your brain. Shadow. You know, you're, either your dad said, you're amazing, you're going to be something. Or he said, I wish you'd never been born. Mm. And that mm. pretty much depends the course of, of a person's life. So the power of words is sobering. And often we don't think about it. But then yeah. the two of you... <laughs> I've been thinking about that. We think about it a lot. <laughs> and, 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 and what that led to is we have two school teachers who, who come together for several reasons, uh, words among them, mm -hmm. uh, and, 
how did you get from the classroom to uh, this place where your words are carried everywhere? I, we've already learned, Bill, that you were singing already, that you were mm -hmm. uh, with your brother and sister in a trio. I came from a blue-collar family. My m mother and father were salt of the earth. I mean, they, they just couldn't have been any better. But none of our people really went to college, okay? And uh, and we'd go to family dinners, and they'd, and they'd talk about their kids going to, uh, I, today would be Ivy Tech or to Purdue, or uh, they're going to be a tool and die maker. They, most, most of our family would do things with their hands, fixing stuff. My brother would, who was also good looking, <laughs> was also a very good mechanic. I can't fix anything, okay? So the dinners, they would ask, you know, who's, uh, what's your kid going to do? And they come around to the dad and they'd say, oh, what's Bill going to do? He loves music. The second question always was, what's he going to do for a living? <laughs> yeah, because, and that was an honest question from their context. It's a very fair question. And when young artists come to me today to say, can you help me do this professionally? Because, I mean, everybody has to choose something that they, that they do for a living. And uh, can you give me any advice? And my advice most of the time is, and I don't mean this in a cynical way, but get a day job, which, which I did because for a year after I was out of high school, I tried to do this professionally, and a good thing happened. We starved to death. And I, and I had to realize you are not equipped to do what you want to do. So that's when I went back to college and um, and and got my degree. I minor. I didn't ma major in music. I I don't have the patience to teach because that comes very easy to me. So I didn't have the patience to work with kids and peck out notes because I'd done that all my life with my sister and brother. So I said, I just want to do that. For, and I made. Uh, I, I made straight A's in that without even trying. I worked myself to death <laughs> on my major, trying to learn how to do, uh, uh, get prepared to do the English thing and teach it. And, and to be honest with you, after I got into it, it was starting to open up a whole nother world. Here's how God works. Because had, had, had I gone out and done music when I was 19 and that's all, my writing would have been limited. I would never had the opportunity to meet a gal this bright and this sharp. You know, my world started widening, and I really loved teaching. I became you were an amazing teacher. I think well, I, 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 I meet people in this town who still remember you as their <laughs> teacher. You know, the interesting thing. The, 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 the last time I met, met, met an ex student. He had a red light on his car. He said, Mr. Gaither. <laughs> I said, yes. He said, I had you in an 11th grade English class. I said, oh, I hope I gave you a good grade. <laughs> you know, but I got to love teaching. And then I met her. And, and, and just for the fun of it, we didn't get paid to do it. We started directing plays. We did Thornton Wilder's Our Town. Because we were teaching the plays in literature. We were teaching the plays. And, and that... A play is more than just a play for kids. That's about life. Yeah. I mean, when Emily comes back and asks the stage manager, do anybody ever realize life while they're living? There were so many principles and stuff you could teach. And I loved it. And I kept teaching, but I never had, I, I never gave up on this music thing. I still loved it. And at night I'd play around with it. And, uh, 
And, and we still continued. And I said, oh, that's when we started writing. And when when uh, I had written, we have a few BG songs before Gloria. <laughs> and every now and I kid her, I said, don't forget, that's a BG song, Gloria. <laughs> now the good ones came after, after, after Gloria. But... So, and then we started having kids, and uh, she quit teaching after a couple, three years. I continued on to, I think, eight or nine, ten years, and the writing thing just kept building and building, and people calling and saying, would you come and sing that song that you wrote? And would you bring your wife and let her talk a little bit about, about the song? That... We never had an agent. We never had a manager. We never had a promotion company. All we did was just work out of our house. And at the end of 10 years, and and the school system was so kind, and the principal, Shorty Burtzel, who just passed away a couple of years ago, uh, said, hey, if you need to take off on Friday and fly out to Oakland, we understand that. You know, uh, we, we want to do anything we can do to keep both of us. Even though she wasn't teaching, she was still involved. Yes, yes. And... Uh, Finally, the night job overtook the day job, and I walked in to Shorty's office, and I said, we need to talk. He said, I knew this day was coming. He could see it. He was a prophet. <laughs> and you know what? I cannot, people will say, boy, I'm glad, I bet you're glad you left the classroom. I said, no, I didn't. I loved it, and I went screaming and kicking. You just changed classrooms. Yeah, because at heart, we are still teachers with the, you know, 20 or 15, 20, 25 kids that travel with us on the weekend. Every time we get a chance and say, Bob, Harry, Charlie, Sally, you got a second, let's talk, Okay. You want to really continue doing that. You know, it's just once a teacher, always a teacher. But 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 with this whole classroom, the ability to take words and music and say to an audience, I said if you knew, you wouldn't want me. My scars are hidden by this face I wear. Oh, but he said, My child, my scars go deeper. It was love for you that put them there. I am loved. I'd say, sing it with us. I am loved. I could risk loving you for the one who knows me best, loves me most. I am loved. You are loved. Won't you please take my hand? We are free to love each other, for we are loved. The opportunity to take an idea out that could change the world. And we really felt like this is world-changing stuff. <laughs> well, it is. And what, as you were just quoting that lyric of another one of your, I would call, standards, there's something about the lyrics of your work uh, matched to the genius of the melody. I mean, they do work together. But there's something tactile for me about them. You, you, you have a way of expressing very deep and important emotions and intellectual concepts but in a way that can be understood almost in a sensory way. So, you know, one of the great songs that launched the whole Gaither enterprise was He Touched Me. Mm. And But, I mean, just think about that. He touched me. It, it's not about something that's removed from me. It's not something external from me. It's something that intersects me in the most personal way. He touched me. The song Because He Lives... Uh, which I heard at the Taj Mahal, implausibly. Uh, I know it has a story. I want to ask you about that just as an illustration of how you come 
to create a, a work like that. But but its lyrics have a very personal, tactile is my best word, that I can't escape feeling it. Tell me about Because He Lives, one of the great, honestly, great hymns of our mm-hmm. time that will live far beyond any of us. How did it come about? I'd like to grab something you just said that relates to all of this in that you you began by saying we live in in central Indiana and one of the things central Indiana or Michigan or Ohio or you know, Kentucky does for you it grounds you. So I'm not surprised you're saying this is tactile. Our religion, our faith, our belief has to be also practical. It is ethereal and eternal, but it is also practical. It needs to be grounded in the dirt. It's got to be where the crops are raised. It's got to be where the kids go off to General Motors Tech to try to work in a General Motors factory. It gro- it, it It is grounded in how do I run my life? How can I make a life work? So um, because he lives is a perfect example of that. Um, that particular song, um, I think, has has been used in more language settings across the world than any other. If, if we had to pick it, but but it, it came out of the birth of our, of one of our children, and and it was in the. Um, End of the 60s. It was um, our son, Benji, and he was born in 70. So we had lived through the 60s, and it was still crazy. It was very similar to the the, uh, the setting right now in our country. Everything was, everybody was against everybody. The Vietnam War was had just finished. The country and it was, was very, it was divided. A, very, very divided. Very divided, very ugly, and... And Watson right. just burned to the ground. Racial tensions. Russell, racial t- everything was in chaos, and professors were giving LSD to their students as a spiritual <laughs> experience. And we're pregnant now with our third baby. And we looked at each other and said, who in their right mind would bring a baby into this world? If it's like this now, what is this little guy going to have to face in 17, 18, 19 years when he's got to be in that mix? And there were several things that happened um, during during that time, but and the story's too long probably to discuss here. But one of them was we <laughs> we had a little A-frame company, a little office building, and we were so excited that we got to finally pave the parking lot, and it had been gravel and kind of mud. And but that that fall we got to pave it and we watched that process. I really never watched it that close up with the, you know, the big rocks at the bottom and then these rollers come in and then this smaller stone and the bigger stone and the gravel and the sand, and finally you know the tar, the hot tar over all of that, and then more rollers and everything. Okay, so we're all excited. We got this parking lot. Come spring, Bill's quiet dad, who was a tool and die maker at General Motors, and a and a farmer, and a farmer. He comes in one morning at the office, and he said, come out here a minute. So we followed him outside. He doesn't say much, so, you know, when he does, you just go, go with him. So he went out, and he po- pointed to the, the middle of that driveway, that all those layers and that tar and, and that blacktop. He pointed not at the side, in the middle, and he said, look at that. 
So we looked at that, and in the middle of that blacktop was a little green shoot of a plant. (laughs) And he just turned his back and walked back in the office. (laughs) And so like him. And that, among several other things that happened that year, you know, just made you say, you know, you don't have babies and buy a house and build a yard and build a a driveway, pave a parking lot, because the world is stable. When has the world ever been stable? (laughs) You have babies and love each other and go on with your life because the resurrection is true. And that... and. And, and we just said, okay, that's what we're going to nail to the wall. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. And the first verse that we wrote was actually, um, how sweet to hold our newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still, the calm assurance, this child can face uncertain days because he lives. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Very practical, very grounded, very Midwest, mm-hmm. very green shoot the in the middle of a parking up. lot. <laughs> you the know, sun but, will come up. Yeah. But when we held that little bald-headed baby in our arms, it was like, aha moment. Wow, you know, we don't have this baby because the world's safe. We have this baby because the resurrection is true, and it's true at every level, clear to the grass that comes up through the parking lot. And we make investments. I mean, Absolutely. it's a really interesting uh, frame for the lyric, which mm-hmm. I w- was not familiar with, that we make investments. Mm-hmm. We, we pour our lives into the ground, into those around us, into our communities, Absolutely. into our houses, because he lives. It and was that, really interesting that Bonhoeffer you know, was in prison and he was engaged and she had gone to build a little, get a little apartment where they were going to live when he got out of prison, they hoped. And she said, is this stupid? Is this stupid for me to go on and, you know, get excited about our little apartment and buy dish towels and stuff for our apartment? And he said, interesting, he said, he said, absolutely not. It's okay for us to love the world. God loved it. He made it and he loved it. Let's go ahead and do our life, and if if we get to do it, fine. If we don't, there's bigger things. But yes, go ahead and buy your dish towels. And he never went to the apartment. He never, and he never went to the apartment. And they never got to be Bonhoeffer, of course, imprisoned by the Nazis. Yeah. And uh, would lose his life uh, in that prison. But the idea that you don't stop because don't stop. there are question marks or uncertainties or the unknown, because there are some things that you know. You're talking here about a deep fundamental frame of life right. that is grounded in your faith. Did you build it on, I mean, that is what you put the ground, that's the ground. That's well, the ground. And, and, and as you, as I just think about that though, let's just talk about that, your faith. You both grew up in houses where your families, uh, you know, had understanding of the Christian faith, that Jesus was not a strange concept to you. Mm. Have you had moments in your life where you thought, I'm not sure he does live. I'm I'm not sure that that's really working for me. Yes, and and, and let's let's answer that question. But before we get away from that, a person came up to us one time and said, we sing that song, but we change one word. I said, what did you change? We say, because he lives, 
I'm excited about tomorrow. And, and we said, good for you <laughs> if that works for you. But I don't know how many people since then have said. Well, in that same week that we got that letter saying they wanted to change the lyric, I, we also got a letter from a, a young father who had backed in the driveway out over his three-year-old son on his tricycle. And he said, if I had not had this song, I couldn't have faced it. I could not have gotten up the next morning. I could face tomorrow. So we kept, I could face tomorrow. <laughs> no, I, I think that, for at least in my journey, that is a much more accurate uh, yeah. approach. And to answer your question about the, the doubt thing, I think from the very beginning, and maybe this is because of Indiana Roots, and, and, and maybe it's because of my dad, who basically looked, the, looked at our marriage when he first got married and said, well, it seemed like it ought to work, but let's see. Uh, wait, <laughs> he was a wait-and-see guy. Wait and I, see. I've got a lifetime. We'll and see after I'm... 10 or 15 years, he said, you got a good one here, Bill. You, <laughs> you got so, so to say, yeah. so the, yes, there have been times in our lives I can remember one time uh, I had a relative that came in and he had tried the faith business and it and it didn't work for him. He was very emotional, very talented, very bright, worked out, very physical. And he said, I can't believe this stuff. And he said, and neither would you. And this really crushed. I think this this statement crushed me more than any other statement. He said, and neither would you if you didn't make your living doing it. You're in it for the dollars. And that yeah. threw him into a pit of depression. That uh, he I had just mono said. for a bus. Had mono. <laughs> and, and, and he was like, is there any truth to this? I mean, yeah. this guy's, you know, he's wild, but is there any truth? Is, is there any truth to that? I don't know how many times we would leave the city limits and say, now, let's, now, why are we doing this again? Why are we doing this? And when I talk to secular reporters today, and they say, why, do you, why, are, you still, why are you still doing it at 85? You know, I said, it's interesting, probably for the same reason we did it at 25. Number one, I believe in the message. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the little sprout coming up. I believe in uh, hard times that this stuff can help make this stuff can help get you through it. So I believe in what we're seeing. And number two, I just love the aesthetic form of four-part harmony and the beautiful thing. <laughs> the beauty of it, actually. The beauty of it. And I can't find any other reason for doing it. Except well, <laughs> well, those are pretty good ones, those two. Those are pretty good ones. Evidently, so, uh, about half the composers that you've ever heard of thought so, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gave us beauty out of it. But out of the, those months of saying, are we kidding ourselves in all of this? We wrote, I believe... Help thou my own belief. I take the finite risk of trusting like a child. I believe. Help thou my unbelief. I walk into the unknown trusting all the while. I long so much to feel the warmth that others seem to know. 
but should I never feel a thing? I claim him even so. I believe. Help thou my unbelief. I walk into the unknown, trusting all the while. Now, that's a Gloria lyric. Now, obviously, the scripture comes from the Bible, but... But, no. yeah. but that changes everything, doesn't it? If that's your approach. Yeah. And yeah. the way in which you face life and tomorrow. Yeah. I and, wish I could say I'm an easy believer, but I'm not. I can't stop my mind. And to be a quester is important to me. To be a cynic is my biggest fear. I don't want to reach this stage in my life and be a cynic. I want to have proven some things true because I tested it in the crucible of life. And I still believe it. And here you are. Here it's am. a little bit like your marriage to Bill and your father-in-law's <laughs> progression. To, you know, I, I think maybe we've seen enough now to know this has got a future. <laughs> and you know what? In all fairness, some of that stuff that has been out here has not landed until the last five or ten years of our lives, finally saying, okay, I told you to trust me. When it's all said and done, I think that's what the scriptures do, and that's what a great gospel song in the hymn does. It's it helps you keep things in perspective. Stuart Hamlin said, the things of earth will dim and lose their value. If we'll recall, they're just borrowed for a while. Things of earth that cause this heart to tremble, remembered there, will only bring a smile. But until then, my heart's going to go. <laughs> if I didn't believe that, I hate to be competing against a guy who did believe that. <laughs> That's right, because that does give you an edge. Well, I mean, it's going to get you up every morning. Yeah. When you, when you think about it, I mean, here you are quoting poetry, in lyrics to me, uh, to express important ideas. It is, it's, it is so powerful and compelling. With 800 songs, copyright, uh, uh, you know, there's a file somewhere. There's a, there's a big metal file. There are two copyrights. Uh, I know it's impossible for you to identify, you know, which one is, is your favorite. What do you think will live on the longest? Or maybe let me reframe the the ask, you told me once, Bill, that uh, we were talking more broadly about Christian music. And every year, I don't know, there's so many songs every oh, yes. year yeah. that are generated new. And some are a thing, they're a buzz in the moment, but we know that we're not going to, they're probably not going to live on for another decade or two. But some things just seem to have transcendent power. Uh, you, you told me that you believe that Twyla Paris had a song about uh, how beautiful uh, it's a body of Christ. It's just, and, and you felt like that's a song that can live yeah. beyond a generation yeah. or so on. It should. And, and, and it, it should. should. It, it certainly should. should. Yeah. But I'm just saying, here you have this body of work. We've already called out a few tunes that we know have circumnavigated the globe, and people are still, after five decades, finding life in them. For your, from your own point of view, I know it may seem awkward, but I mean, with 800 titles, are there a couple that you think, no, this, this is going to outlive us? Okay, let me give you a, a lyric of song that may outlive us, may not, and, and many of your audience may not know. But I have said several times, and I think 
I have been quoted by some, some scholars somewhere. That's a joke, okay? But it, <laughs> I couldn't think of a scholar to quote me on it. But it, but, but uh, I have said that I think good theology is good psychology. There was a time in in the evangelical church where psychology was way over here and theology was way over. And the old timers would say, "Don't talk about it. Don't." Pray about it. You know, well, we definitely should pray about it. But there's some, there's some things that's going to take more than a trip to the altar to really alter a person's life. So I think good psychology is also good theology. This is her lyric, so I can brag on it. I think it's one of the best she ever wrote. I repent for moments I have spent recalling all the pain and failures of my past. I repent for dwelling on the things beyond my power to change, the chains that held me fast. I will go on the past I leave behind me. I gladly take his mercy and his love. He is strength and he is peace. He is joy and sweet release. I know he is, and I am his. I will go on. Now, here is, now here's the con- confessional verse I think is just beautiful. I give up the bitterness and hate and blaming men and fate for all my discontent. The guilt and pain I empty from my cup so God can fill it up with peace and sweet content. I will go on the past I leave behind me. Whether that will outlive us or not, I wish it would, because I think it could be healing not only today, but I think it could be healing 2084. You know, I think it's a, there's an old hymn that says, <laughs> I give up bitterness and hate. So that may live, that may not. I think it deserves to live because of her great lyrics. That's right. Sometimes my music, I think, holds back because stylistically, I think it's, you know, it's fun, but it may, styles come and go, but the lyric, I mean, there's so many, there's so many uh, extra tunes to old hymns. Because the lyrics can fit with different styles of music per se, but the lyric captures it. Gloria, what, what would you say? He, you've listened to Bill claim some of your own verse. What stands out for you? One of my, one of my favorites um, musically and, and I think um, concept-wise is uh, his love reaching. Love has always been there in the chaos of our world. It was the word that echoed through the formless void. And whether in the universe worlds of our own minds. It is his love that turns our chaos into joy. His love went on reaching. His love went on longing right past the shackles of my mind. (laughs) And the word of the Father became Mary's little son. And love reached all the way to where I was. Um, The birth of Jesus wasn't the first time God came into the world. I mean, he was there from the beginning, and so was Jesus with the Father. Um, but, but his uh, this this unreachable, big, you know, un, unfathomable, omnipresent 
omnu, you know, all of those words we say, is not what God, it's not his, his character. His character is love, and we don't even have a word for it. You know, you can love pizza and you can love Lincoln cars and whatever. We don't have a love, uh, we don't have a word for it in our language. But it isn't what God does, it's what he is. And so, and so to me, the the concept that that he's not going to let some rebellious teenage angel steal away the glory that he intended for us to have. And, you know, original sin was an original, original glory was original. That's, that's the first thing. And it will be, it will be what he will have. And he won't give up on us. Now, we, we both gave you songs that are not in the mainstream mm-hmm. of what we've done. To answer your question as far as what the people think, uh, we have mentioned Because He Lived. We mentioned He Touched Me. I, I, I think uh, there's something about that name, Jesus, 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 that yes, will we'll, we'll, we'll probably be around. There might be a chance for something beautiful, something good, all my confusions. He understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. I'd like to think that maybe that might outlive us. And and probably in some circles, we sang it the other night, and people really got excited again about it. And that is, the king is coming. The yes. king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding. <laughs> and now I say, so we've written off so many different kinds of stuff. Well, come on. How about, I'm a promise. I'm a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> that still bounces in my head because my children grew up with yeah. that song. And it became a part of me, too. I've, I mean, there's, they're masterworks. They really are. I, I'm not just uh, polishing your, yeah. your card it here. It's interesting. Uh, it, I am a promise is right up there on our reporting with Because He Lives and <laughs> some yes. of the other things. One of the reasons is it's made the news network so many times because of children, you know, in, in, inner in, city. in, in neighborhoods where they don't seem to have a chance. They may be disadvantaged in other ways. We, we see them sing, some teacher is singing it to them. Yes. And it's like, oh, that's where a song should go. You know, Absolutely. it should be said to a you know, five-year-old kid who doesn't have every ad- advantage. There's one other song that comes to mind. Uh, We we'd written a lot, and I had a friend who was a manager, a Richard Smallwood, who's a who's a great gospel, a black gospel artist, a graduate of Howard University, a great classical keyboard player. Said, "Would you like to write with uh, with Richard?" I'd love to do it. So I went in, and he said. Uh, I said, how much time do you have? He says, 30 minutes. That's all. <laughs> and he said, do you have an idea? And I said, yeah, we we have a, what I call a hook book. And we it's, had seen a phrase in, in the book that we were reading. It said, Jesus, you're the center of my joy. And so I mentioned that to Richard. He said, oh, that'd be fun. So we, he sat down and, boy, he, you talk about play, he can play. Jesus, you're the center of my joy. 
And and the rest of the tune, we just went da 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 da. He said, "What are we gonna do about the da da da's?" I said, "Well, I have a little gal I live with up in Indiana. <laughs> we'll take Well, to make a long story short, uh, we finished the tune. Richard recorded it, and it became the it got the stellar award that year. That was that was uh, given. Uh, at the Apollo Theater in New York, in Harlem, at, in Har- and and uh, Whitney Houston was there, and mm. and that was in '89, and the in Mississippi the, Mass Choir, yeah, wow, yeah. It was amazing, and, and 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 so Gloria and I went because I mean this was I mean, we received a lot of awards, but this was a totally another thing, and they loved it in the black church, and and a lot of a lot of the white congregations they, they sing it too. It was interesting. I would go into a, a, a black church, maybe in the office area, and somebody would say, this is Bill Gaither, and there would be 10, 15 people around. And they'd say, hi, nice to meet you. Said, he co-wrote, Jesus, you're the center of my joy with Richard Smallwood. The chairs would turn and said, he did. Oh, it. <laughs> he did. Not Bill Gaither. <laughs> oh, yes. Now, that was, you know, after writing all the stuff that we had written, we'd written a lot, right. a lot of country things that country artists had Actually, picked. you mentioned awards. That is the one award that I'm really proudest of is Black Gospel Song of the Year. Yes. Uh, in all of our collection. And mainly because that amazing memory of that night with that Mississippi Mass Choir coming yes, down the yes. aisle, you know, with no instruments but their hands, and it just, it was just, great. it was just an amazing experience. And uh, well, so, yeah, you, you have some awards, and uh, there's no there's no shortage of of shelf space, uh, vacant shelves in the the Gaither complex with mm-hmm. Grammys and Dove Awards and. And things like you've just named, and you've also been invited to some very extraordinary stages around the country. Mm. You've produced uh, films and music. Uh, I I remember seeing in your offices a, a picture. You were at the White House, I think, in the East Room, some mm. kind of celebration of gospel music. And I mean, when when you look back at at all of those places you've been, uh, and you know, a, a sold out concert in Brazil or maybe South Africa, or in mm. Belfast. I mean, mm. A to Z. But here you are in your house of 55 years in Alexandria that you that you purchased when you were teaching school. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what's worth more than all of that. Two weeks ago, a week ago, our grandson, who is now an adult, and he's uh, in New York um, majoring in composition, filling, fin- finish a master's program in composition. At, at NYC. At NYC. And he called and said, Mama, did you write something? Did you write this song, Something Beautiful? And he's so far ahead of me he's musically. Like, you know, <laughs> he's a genius. He gets the cosmos. He might not know if he has on shoes, but he's yes, got yes. <laughs> And he said, um, I'm just listening to that. What, what made you write that? How much, how as much is that What's worth? What's that worth? <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, well, again, the discovery of a generation in your own family. In my own family. It's so amazing. You know, this, the sprouts still come up through the pavement, you know. Well, and I just think you might have uh, lived anywhere you wanted to live. I mean, after a while, the the music and the the productions and all the rest give you the capacity to make choices that you might not have had if you were still teaching uh, in the public school. 
And yet you have chosen to stay in the place where you describe Gloria as, as a place of being grounded. And I just wonder sometimes, do you ever uh, think about, well, you know, why didn't we go to Nashville? Because you'd have to do a lot of work in Nashville. Nashville's mm. kind of a center of gospel music and, mm. you know, music city, so they call it. Guys, Maybe music. you should go out to L.A. I mean, mm. there's got a lot of studio work out there. Or what, why not that apartment overlooking Central Park? Or I mean, there's just a hundred things that you might dream about. Mm. Tell me about the joy and the the pleasure of Alexandria, Indiana, uh, somewhat north of Indianapolis on a little two-lane mm -hmm. state road called Nine. Yeah, when we were kids, uh, the, the word around town was Alexandria. You know, it was 60 miles north of Indianapolis. So the word was that we were 60 miles from the nearest known sin. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've imported something. We've probably imported something. <laughs> That's a fair question. And the first thing that comes to my mind, you hear this phrase a lot, people who have your back. Unless I'm misreading it, honey, I think that little town still has our back. I think they, I, I think if somebody would come in and try to hurt us in any yes, kind right, of way, right, right, you know, right. they'd say, hey, that's not the Bill of Gloria that I know. That's important to me. I mean, and those are people, I just had a call from a friend that I've known since high school. He's my age. He's in my class. And he just got our Christmas card or something. And uh, he was so moved by the card and what Glory had written in the card. I told Glory, I said, I'll tell the names, Ron and Deanne. I said, you know what? We don't have any better friends than Ron. I mean, that's right. Yeah. I mean, they. They do anything for and us. They're in. They're in your town. Yeah, and, it, and maybe it took fifty years. That maybe he was. He was like a George Gaither. I have to wait and see if this thing's going to work. It's <laughs> kind of like yeah. a George Gaither. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably the biggest reason. And we have probably written more about home than anybody. So many of our songs that we have this moment to hold in our hands and to touch as it slips through our fingers like sand. Yesterday's gone and tomorrow may never come. We have this moment today. And it happens to be in a little town called Alexandria, Indiana. It's been so good to us. So anyway. And who else comes from a town that they'd put your name on the water tower and say, the home of the gates? <laughs> I, guess, I guess that probably wouldn't happen in Paris after all. <laughs> that but. wouldn't happen. And I just wonder how many people drive by that water tower and say, who's that? Who's the gates? <laughs> well, you know, your, your reach, uh, your musicians, your artists, your lyricists. Uh, I mean, there's so much we could talk on for days. Uh, we haven't even touched the, the idea of music itself, the mystery of the melody. But I also want to acknowledge or invite you to comment on, I think, a calling that you, you saw develop in your career, which was not just to speak and to share and to give this gift of song and ideas, but also to look behind you. Who's coming up behind us? What, what? Who's going to stand on the stage next? And if we looked at at the genre of gospel music, I mean, there are very few uh, persons that we could name that have achieved some renown or status or you know, audience that haven't had some contact with the Gaithers. Or many, many who would say we wouldn't be here 
if it were for the Gaithers. Your capacity to, to build out beyond the trio to the vocal band, to an entourage, to a studio filled with people, old and young. Um, I don't know that there's anything like that in any kind of entertainment. And I don't mean to diminish the gospel as entertainment, but I mean it has a certain kind of crowd draw. I don't know that that has any peer anywhere. What, what do you think about that? Is it, is it true? I mean, am I assuming correctly? You actually, by design, intentionally think, you know what, we need to be watching out. Or is it just something that kind of organically comes alongside and you bring him along? We used to say, if it doesn't fly at the bakery, it doesn't fly, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is a good thing because we've been in many rooms of coal, you know, in, in Nashville, as you mentioned. And, and you tend in a room like that to write for each other rather than for the real people. And for us, it's been important to stay with the real people, just to stay there and not, not become a professional songwriter or musician or whatever. Coming home on, on Saturday night, you know, flying all night to get home is very important, very important. To address... That business about, you know, who's going to take our place and all that. I don't think that ever entered my mind. But what does enter my mind is when I, I saw a kid the other night at the Pacer game do the anthem. So where did that kid come from? From Anderson University. A student from Anderson University, which is your alma mater. Yeah. And I said, how did that talent get by without me? How, how am I just discovering it at the Pacer game? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We go to a lot of meetings, and there's one we love in Nashville. It's a songwriters award night, and that's country writers. Country, country songwriters, right? And it's it, it's true there, but it's not true at the country music awards. It's not true at the Dove Awards. Not true, but at at the writers award, they all go in in all of everybody else in the room. There's a certain humility about the people. It literally blows my mind. And I think I'm pretty much like that. When I hear a great singer, I just go, or when I hear a great keyboard player. Or a great song. Or or a great song. I don't care where it came from. A great song is, I just mentioned Stuart Hamlin. I could quote so many of his lyrics the whole night, you know. And uh, Fanny Crosby is still around because of, you know, because of great lyrics. And I think because of that, I have seen that. I've seen great vocal talent. I've seen great keyboard talent. I say, boy, that kid is amazing. You know, we need to find a way, to, not because I'm so spiritual, <laughs> but the world needs to hear this guy, you know. And it's just like, and the night is going to be better. And if he wins, we all win, you know. I forget, I'll, I'll never forget one time when somebody said, does that bother you? It's when Sandy first starts singing with us. Every night she gets up there She's got the home run spot. Wow! And every Sandy, night it was Sandy of, Patty. Yeah, it was, you know it was out of the ballpark. And they said, "Does that bother you?" I said, "What?" You know, in fact, the people are on their feet. I said, "She's on our team." <laughs> That's right. If she wins, we're all winning. Right? Yeah, we're all winning. <laughs> yeah, we just hit a home run or something. Yeah. Now there's got. I know you're the theologian. It's got to be a scriptural base for that or something. You know. Well, I, you know, Sandy was the first guest on this podcast. Huh. And uh, as we talked to her about her journey, and she had some great stories to tell, of course. Mm. Uh, but she, 
uh, several times mentioned that what she learned from Bill and Gloria Gaither and how she, you know, I learned this. And and when I walked into the studio, I remember what Bill said, (laughs) you know, and what that just, it was very natural. There was nothing staged about it. It was her natural explanation of her own trajectory and understanding of her craft and how powerful your influence was for her for the good. And that's just one of many stories. Uh And that's, that's another dimension that's kind, to what kind, God yeah, has yeah. provided for you. Because as I said, I'm not, I'm not aware of, of any other kind of like peer relationships where people who have achieved the success you have have been so influential in the lives of others who also are called into this work. Mm-hmm. And it is a calling. It's yeah. an anointing. Yeah. And uh, I just have to say for just the one little guy out there, thanks for doing that because my world is better because not only what you've done, but the way in which you've put others also mm-hmm. up front. And that brings us to here the Gaithers are going back out on the road again and always still hosting events, big uh, events. Maybe it's the standalone event on a holiday weekend, or maybe it's that uh, production somewhere, or you're, you're back in your home thinking about a song. Is there one more coming out? Are you still wrestling with tunes and lyrics? Yes. Let me tell you one. Actually, the whole COVID two years has been, you know, to shut us in with ideas as we've just sort of blossomed during this time writing wise. So, you know, we've got, we're, we've got a whole bunch we want to tell you. (laughs) So you tell them one. Well, we just got a new Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Mark, here's here's Bill, the musician and trumpeter. Okay, folks, if you've enjoyed his brief television presentation. This is Martin Bailey right here. (laughs) But but Woody Wright and I were were walking buddies. We were writing one day, or walking, and we said, uh, and Gloria and I have said many times, isn't it amazing that the uh, angels started singing the night Jesus was born? And they started singing, and they kept singing, kept singing. Pretty soon, musicians all over the world started, you know, uh, you know, I don't know of any other person that this, uh, that has had as much music and art written about than Jesus has, you know. So the whole thing is amazing. So the songs go on and on and on. And it came down to uh, Bach, Beethoven, and Handel, Mendelssohn. I mentioned that to... Uh, uh, to Kevin Williams the other night, and I couldn't think of the last name. He said, don't ask me. They're, they were your friends, okay? So, so, but anyway, we said, you need to write a song. that said, the song goes on and on and on and on. And so, and so we, uh, we wrote this tune, and we just came off of our Christmas tour and sang it every night. And the song goes, heaven and nature sings, and the song goes, heaven and nature, and the song goes on and on. And then... There's a place where the whole crowd sings, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And the song goes on and yes, on yes, and yes. on. And it ends up by singing, And he shall reign forever and ever. And the song goes on and That's on. Right. Heaven and nature sings. That just comes out of joy of life, of putting rhythm fields together with with great hooks, which is not my hook. All heaven and nature sing, of course, comes from joy. Uh, from joy to the world. That's a new idea that came out of last year. And then 
people get depressed over politics. They get depressed over periods of time. And somebody came up to me here a while back and said, uh, does this bother you politically or something was going on politically? And I said, the darker the night, the brighter the light. Oh, that'd be good. The darker the night, the brighter the light, the dark. So we've written a new song called The Darker Night, and we end up singing, this little light of mine. <laughs> it just all flows naturally. <laughs> the most powerful weapon we have is that little song that we learned in Sunday school, this little light of mine. I think we ought to shut up and let our light shine a bit more. A shut up is a pretty hard word to be saying. It's about as good as you get. Right? <laughs> you know, it really is important because you don't kill the darkness with a sword. It can only be pushed you back by the, the light. You kill the darkness with a light. <laughs> it's like, and so we keep writing and writing. And she has co-written with a lot of younger writers. She is writing some wonderful hymns with Michael W. Smith. I think Michael W. Smith might write some of the greatest melodies of anybody in this century. I'm serious. I mean, the kid is good. He's it's really, really been gifted in melody. And so I tell her, hey, so she's co-written with a lot of other musicians. I'm pretty, I'm pretty limited. I'm good at what I do, but I'm pretty limited. So. Well, you're not very limited. <laughs> I'm just saying the world is brighter because Bill and Gloria got together and uh, follow their calling and their heart. And uh, the the audience uh, still still engaged, an audience that has transcended decades, an audience that still is gathering, uh, is proof enough that. Uh, for me, that there is an anointing, there is a spirit, there's a magic, if I could say that in a righteous mm -hmm. way. Absolutely. There is a certain mystery about what you do, and yet that mystery is born by the hand of God, and it speaks still. And whether it be at the Taj Mahal, or whether it be in Kentucky <laughs> a after a tornado, or at church on Sunday, or in the concert hall, Thank you for what you do mm -hmm. and what you have done for all of us. It's been such a joy to have you with us today at All That To Say. All That To Say, you're not going to find anybody better than Bill and Gloria Gaither. They are the best. Jim, you're very kind. Bless you, my friend. Been fun. Thank you. For more information, visit allthattosay.org. Thank you for joining the conversation. Don't forget to like and subscribe.